This is Father Byron Hagen, the priest of the Archdiocese of St. Paul in Minneapolis, offering some reflections inspired by the Deep Down Things podcast with Sister Albert Marie Sermansky on St. Therese and feminist theology. Even for non-atheist intellectuals who express some partisanship to religion, theology is often thought of as akin to tennis without a net, an intellectual game with no rules. And therefore, whatever goods theology may involve and produce, it is at best a pseudoscience. Theology resides on the plane of subjective literary appreciation, perhaps, where writers project their own existential or sociopolitical interests in debates about the nature of religion. Theology, seen in this way, becomes a sort of meta-level proxy for playing out implications of an otherwise imminent humanism. With the idea of God, playing the role of catch-all symbol of the truths for which we advocate from self-authorized reason. Theology seen from the standpoint of the Church, however, does indeed stand as a formal science, in fact the queen of the sciences in the medieval scholastic dictum. Because the Church affirms that the first principles of theology are drawn from revelation, she acknowledges that as science, theology is unique. God has not left us alone to discover him as best we can by pure reason and empirical observation. In the man Jesus of Nazareth, God has anointed a definitive messenger, made himself incarnate in human nature and history, and come into personal encounter with us. The Church, as the location of the definitive account of human experience with this revelation, is also the definitive location of the theological enterprise. Yet the Church does not make herself simply the imperious dictator of divine truth to the world. In admitting that theology is an ongoing project of reception, the dogmatics of the Church stand as boundary and therefore guardian of the truth that has been given, while marking out the space of true freedom for theology. The dogmatics of the Church are, if you will, the net which makes the game of theology possible. The theologian is both student of the Church's dogmatics and a person of faith who shares in the Church's humble receptivity. The quality of the theologian's work, therefore, is judged by the Church in both her official magisterial role as Christ the Head and also in her role as Christ the Body, represented by the whole company of the faithful, the listening Church, which is always ready to share in the Marian vocation of pondering in the heart the eternal word she's received. The symbols par excellence of the listening church include the saints and doctors who, in the company of the Blessed Virgin, pray, receive, and point us again to Christ in every age. In our time, however, the postmodern phase of modernity, the intellectual space has gotten so broad and cluttered that unlike in the Middle Ages, where nearly all that seemed relevant to the theological enterprise could be mastered by the theologian, Now the total space of human knowledge can hardly be surveyed, let alone summarized and prepared as material for higher speculation. This daunting realization has led to an attempted reconfiguration of the theological project where theology is redefined as the collective of articulate perspectives engaged in unresolvable dialectic. The charge that theology is tennis without a net is being made true. But then again, it isn't. The underlying stability of theology, against all surface appearances, is highlighted by Sister Albert Marie Sermansky in her engagement with St. Therese of Lisieux and Elizabeth Johnson. 
The discussion is not framed as a simple matter of disagreement about a doctrine of the church. It wouldn't be too difficult to show at least an outline that such attributes as eternity, impassibility, and simplicity, and other classical predicates of the divine being, are truths of reason as well as of faith. The contemporary classic, He Who Is, A Study in Traditional Theism by E. L. Maskell, is one such summary work, and precisely as it happens, the book to which Elizabeth Johnson is alluding in her own emblematic work of theology, She Who Is, The Mystery of God in Feminist Theological Discourse. The simple reassertion of classical dogmatics is not the goal of Sister Sermansky, the theologian. Rather, her work with Therese and Johnson is an exercise in letting speak, as Sermansky places them in conversation while acting as moderator. As a theologian inhabiting fidelity to the center of the Catholic tradition, Sermansky represents the teaching authority of the Church in a way that Elizabeth Johnson, as a self-identified partisan of the critical margins, does not. Yet Sermansky doesn't simply wield authority in the name of the Church. Rather, she's allowed a particular woman of the tradition to respond personally, as it were, to the claims Johnson makes about the experience and attitudes and, and nature of women. Even here, Sermansky's counterclaims remain in a certain way modest, as are those of St. Therese, for Therese, who neither knows nor suspects that she'll ever be proclaimed saint and doctor, opens herself freely through her own pondering of heart to the truth about God. Although Therese, through fearless, wide-ranging inquiry and even profound temptations to despair, always ends in agreement with church authority, for she remains in the Marian let it be. She cannot, on pain of illicit question-begging and well-poisoning, be considered a less authentic personal witness to the truth than the one who stands at the existential periphery as the dissenting interlocutor. We're now growing accustomed in the popular sphere to what intellectuals have suffered and perpetrated for generations, that is, a critical hermeneutic issuing from the Marxist version of socialism, which has thoroughly ensconced itself in the Western tradition. This standpoint specializes in the identification of oppressed persons and groups who possess a morally and therefore an intellectually superior critical position from which they can pronounce judgments upon without being judged by both the oppressing majority and those of the oppressed who have been trapped in the matrix of oppressive discourse, who have, as Sermansky puts it, internalized a distorted vision, becoming complicit in their own oppression. The notion of the moral innocence and therefore absolute superiority of the oppressed, while rooted in a real insight about the character of epistemic standpoints and the possibility of rationally privileged epistemic positions, radicalizes the principle and thereby destroys it, since it creates for itself a total insulation from dialogue and criticism, rendering the standpoint no epistemic standpoint at all, but rather an ideology, and its reason no reason at all, but just one more exercise in domination, ironically adding itself to the list of oppressive discourses it seeks to undermine. Now, it seems to me that this critical theoretic dogma is an attempted adversarial counterweight to and substitution for the idea of the Church's infallible teaching authority. In order to stand against the powerful, it is thought pseudo-infallibility of the ecclesiastical institution, one must claim an authentic counter-infallibility, 
and what is more authentic and therefore what has better claim to truth than the lived experience of the oppressed. What Sermansky understands and highlights in her work on Therese is that the authority of the church is itself an authority also of lived experience, and what's more, a lived experience of oppression and deliverance. In classical church dogmatics, there is indeed a canonical experience which is definitively authoritative. Yet this authority, in the way that all genuine authority manifests itself, does not insulate itself by closing down dialogue, but rather serves as the ground of its possibility. The church was born in dialogue with God, struggle even, since after all the church is rooted in the faith of Israel, a name which means one who wrestles with God. The church's authority is not for mere domination or defense of her temporal position. Rather, it's offered meekly, must always be offered meekly, from within a willingness, an eagerness even, to suffer for the truth she bears, just as her Lord did and as his blessed mother did, following him to the foot of the cross and to the grave. This posture of suffering means that the church is willing to take on eccentric, even dissident criticism. Heretical standpoints, while in themselves illegitimate manifestations of the diverse angles of approach to Catholic theology, can provide valuable insights and occasions for deeper consideration on the part of ecclesially-centered theologians. Thus, heresies, as they've always done, continue in the mystery of divine providence to nourish the Church's inner confidence, even as they attack that confidence from without. This has been Father Byron Hagen with the Deep Down Things podcast, which you can find on the web at patreon.com slash deepdownthings. I look forward to being with you again for more reflections. All blessings to you.